0: This podcast is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thanks to Nicholas, Lindsay, Coral and Gareth for their donations. Welcome to the Probably Bad Podcast, a podcast that is definitely bad. I'm Pencil.
1: I'm Paper. Today's Probably Bad RPG idea is...
0: Every time you introduce a new NPC, you roll a D twenty. On a one, it's Hachios Modius, Lord of the Nine Hells, who's here in disguise for reasons totally unrelated to the current plot.
1: Okay. First thought, best thought. It's going to make seducing NPCs great.
0: <laughs> Russian roulette NPC seduction.
1: Can you imagine though? Like, I want to seduce the bartender. He is a greater demon said I want to seduce the
0: bartender I was thinking like you go through the whole okay excuse the bartender you go to bed with him boom you're dragged into hell by Asmodeus lord of the nine hells and that's the end of your character that's what you get for derailing my plot to seduce people
1: I mean it's not the worst punishment that even that just us have thought of we did give a guy ultra-syphilis and have to go on a whole side quest to cure it.
0: Like, I've never heard the phrase, I gave a guy ultra-syphilis before, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. But yes, I I think I'm going to stick with being punished by being dragged to hell by demons.
1: But I am curious what the other options on the D twenty would be, like if you get a ten, is it just like, oh, this is an owl bear? So I
0: like the information. Like it's not; it's a normal person unless you're an actual twenty. Everyone is a different supernatural entity.
1: Well, I already roll for what race NPCs are, mm. so this is just a natural progression for me.
0: Yeah, on a 1, it's Asmodeus. On a natural 20, it's gods. And just between the two are just various, various spectrums.
1: Okay, so I was imagining it as a scale of how powerful they are. Like 20 was going to be like an elderly gnome. (laughs) But I quite like the idea that
0: it's it's more
1: about alignment than power.
0: Yeah, you roll to see how dangerous and evil they are. So like, on unlike a, twen- a 20, it's still an elderly gnome, but like, a really nice elderly gnome. But on a 2, it's an elderly gnome who wants to stab you. Which gives a weird implication that elderly knife welding gnomes are one step below Asmodeus in the, in the devilish hierarchy.
1: Did you say knife welding? Yeah. Blacksmiths are just the worst of the worst.
0: (laughs) Blacksmiths are like the second um, step below Satan, confirmed. I noticed that this isn't on the script we have for this. (laughs) To be
1: fair, blacksmiths do work in a fiery pit. I've played Skyrim, I've seen these fiery pits.
0: (laughs) Like, hell isn't, like, a place of evil, it's just a place that has fire, and any place that has fire is hell.
1: Hell is empty, and all the blacksmiths are here. (laughs) Getting back to the actual idea, though. Yes. I do like it, because, like I said, I do roll for what race NPCs are. And I do like it just as a way of making your world a bit more diverse. Hmm. Because it's quite easy to play a game of, say, Dungeons & Dragons, and just...
0: It's just humans.
1: Everyone is a human, and, like, the party is all sorts of nonsense, but everyone they meet is a human, and Hmm. that's just how the world is. Yeah, I mean,
0: like, you could use like the reincarnation table for it. You probably need to like edit a few things, but yeah, I like the way in the, sort of in the setting we're using, where it's like each country has like one race that is like one species. I don't really like you. Well,
1: because like, I mean, if you're basically having fantasy races as a stand-in for like. Actual real-world diversity. It Mm. just makes sense to me to have... Well, this is where that group's from. But there's also other people there. Because, like, that's how the world works. (laughs)
0: Like, also, on sort of the more... You know, Asmodeus level, rather than... Just a devil who happens to be working in the local shop. Like, I do like... The idea of just occasionally having just. So rather than maybe, maybe rather than literally you find Asmodeus working at the local cashier, like you find sort of evidence of a cult of Asmodeus or of Asmodeus' presence or that kind of thing. Just as a kind of. Just as another thing that sort of sweeps in and shakes up the plot. So you have whatever main quest you're going on. And every so often just kind of like random side quests, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a procedurally generated plot.
0: Yeah. Because, yeah, I know I've... I know what I've sort of... Like, at the moment, I'm running a superhero RPG. And sort of... The vague way of doing it is essentially just there are clues for what different supervillains are doing... And the plot is almost entirely decided by which one players come after, rather than me deciding ahead of time which one is going to be the big bad. And I think it's sort of, yeah, the next step beyond that of just, like, you just have various forces doing things, and every so often one will just swoop into the area that you're in.
1: It does make a lot of sense to just have bad guys doing bad things in the background. Like, hey, players, not everything is about you. Yeah.
0: But yeah, like, yeah, like, just Asmodeus is just invading this town. You know, he has a life outside of you smashing up his cultists.
1: And if you want to help, that's great. (laughs) If you don't, move on to the next side quest.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I feel like Yeah, I feel like it's possibly an idea, like, it might be a bit too much bookkeeping if you're, if like, as a GM you're up to it. Like, just having, like, a few villains doing background things that the players might bump into. And they might not, it might not actually show up or they might not care, but just as a way of making it feel more like a world where things are happening rather than a sandbox the players happen to be in.
1: But you could have the villains doing relatively mundane things.
0: <laughs> I guess there is also no sort the of point.
1: Like, oh, yeah. Orc- Orcus is going grocery shopping, Asmodeus is on a date, just living their life.
0: Okay. Like, I realise it probably wasn't your attention, but I like the idea that Asmodeus and Orcus are on a date with each other. Just. And the players bump into that. Yes, I like the implication that, like... Orcus and Asmodeus on a date with each other, and this is how the blood war ends.
1: I like that a lot. Just <laughs> Hey, by the way, while, while you were distracted rescuing this kitten, the plot just kind of resolved itself. <laughs> Off you go.
0: I guess uh, that's the other logical, thing is logical uh, implication, is... You roll, and the big bad is defeated by another adventuring party while you are off fucking around with side quests.
1: But what if. You're the one that sets up Orcus and Asmodeus? <laughs> like, you've just. You've encountered them both, you figure. Two birds, one stone. Just distract them with each other. This is like.
0: The Bard that seduces everything, this is their final, like, climactic um, challenge. Can they seduce the most powerful archdemon, the Lord of Nine Hells, and get them, like, to date?
1: But it's not seducing them for themselves, so it's an added challenge.
0: Yeah, they have to, like... Seduce them
1: on someone else's behalf.
0: What they have to do is they have to pretend to be Orcus while seducing Asmodeus and pretend to be Asmodeus while seducing Orcus so that when they meet, they will be in love with each other.
1: It's like some sort of demonic parent trap.
0: Exactly. I feel this is the best possible, like, campaign premise. I
1: they would play this. I would absolutely play this. We've done it again, (laughs) folks. We went from this is a terrible idea to, yeah, I'd play that. Hmm.
0: But yes, should we answer some questions?
1: Yes. So that people are aware, we now have more ways to get questions to us. We now have an email address. So, you can message us on the Probably Bad RPG Ideas Tumblr, preferably specifying that your question is for the podcast, or you can email us at probablybadpodcast at gmail.com, where I, Mod paper will read everything that you send at the risk of my own sanity. Our first question is from a friend of ours. Um... Username Hedwig Hood, who has asked, Worst RPG system you've ever played, and why is it so terrible? Worst RPG system you've not played?
0: So, um, you've possibly heard of it if you are, like, if you look up, like, terrible role-playing systems. But recently I tried playing um, Dead Earth. It's a post-apocalyptic RPG. And it's fairly standard in that sense. It's been a nuclear war. You're surviving in the wastelands. The rule system is you roll for mutations. Mutations can include things like normal mutations, they can include things like you're unusually charitable. Sorry, please, just they can inc-
1: please define normal mutations.
0: As in, you know, tentacles and, you know, you're green and the standard post apocalyptic. Okay. Or you can roll that like you're, you know, unusually charitable or unusually malicious, which is a bit weird, but maybe Wait, not. Most
1: personalities important. are
0: mutations? Personalities are mutations, yes. Uh you can make it an incredibly charitable and compassionate person role and then nope, you've just mutated being an asshole. Or you can die. Just Start of character creation, you can roll and you can die. And a good 10% of the table is things that will just kill you. And rules as written, you can only ever play three characters of Dead Earth. Ever. Not in one campaign or with one GM, just ever. Which means, yes, I just died permanently for the entire game due to bad rules and yeah i don't think i can think of a worse system than i create three characters they all die before character creation and i'm forbidden from ever playing the game again i
1: think that does have to win
0: (laughs) i'm sorry for um overriding whatever overshadowing whichever one you're about to say
1: I mean, I don't think I've ever played any particularly bad systems. I am running a Feast of Legends game this Friday. But I haven't played it yet. I take your silence as just pure horror.
0: <laughs> but yes, if you want to know more about Feast of Legends, you should see our ne- our last podcast. Spoiler, it's not very good. Bruin Cole, yeah, Bruin Cole uh, says some RPGs have mechanic where players get an extra or better chance for a trade off. E.G., Call of Cthulhu's pushing yourself for a check its second chance with worse consequences for failure, or Blades in the Dark's pushing for stress and devils barkings. Do you like these mechanics? Slash, have a favorite way to deal with players wanting to fiangle better chances?
1: I absolutely love these mechanics. Hmm. Because a lot of the time they feel very realistic, like the sort of thing where it's like, yes, you can hit a, hit the monster again or shoot a second arrow, but it's gonna be harder to do anything significant with that attack. As just the most basic version of it, yeah. Like, I think it just I- it, it makes a lot more sense than sure you can just like hit this thing ten times in a turn, and all of those times are gonna be Hitting really, really hard like you've just started your turn rather than like you've just swung a sword nine times. But yeah,
0: like I said, like... The thing with RPGs is failure is always the most boring consequence. And I like the idea of, like, trying again with potentially worse consequences if you fuck up, like, a second time. Just straight-up failure is always the most boring consequence of a die roll and i think yeah it's good to have something where it's like okay you failed but you get try again but something worse might happen especially because you know blades in dark and call of Cthulhu are fairly dark settings where failing and fucking up completely are pretty in character pretty in genre Mm. yeah because there's a lot of
1: in call of Cthulhu. There's a lot of "Are oh, you fucked up? Now you're insane," kind yeah. of thing, isn't there?
0: Yeah, you take, yeah, you take sanity damage fairly easily, and if you run out of it, you are insane and thus out of the game. You're also quite physically weedy because everything else is giant Lovecraftian monsters. Well, yeah, but yeah. Like I don't. I,
1: mean, I think I feel like failure can be interesting, but mm. you've got to do it right. Like you can't just be like you didn't hit it.
0: Yeah, no, that's, like, that's what I mean. You didn't like,
1: find fail- anything.
0: Yeah, failure in the sense of, like, I just... Failure in the sense of just, essentially, a wall goes down, like, nope, can't do that one anymore.
1: Hmm. I just... I don't think I've ever actually been in a game where that has been what failure meant. Yeah. Apart from, like, you failed to solve the puzzle because you destroyed it, kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because as, as a DM, you should want your players to win, so you should give them second chances, even if you make those chances yeah. harder.
0: Because, yeah, there's always the problem that, like, if you fail at the wrong time, that's sort of the, op, that's sort of the campaign over.
1: Mm.
0: Like, yeah, it's been a bit of a problem with my... I'm doing it with my black Fen one, which is a mystery, like investigation campaign I'm running. Where there have been a few times where it's been like I had to put something else in because if you don't get this clue, then you know you're kind of just stuck wandering around doing nothing in particular. I'm very
1: sorry that my feral child character <laughs> is not a better PI.
0: <laughs> so, okay, like it is possibly yeah, it's possibly relevant that. Two of the private investigators are a bugbear in a hat and a child who lives in the woods.
1: And we're best friends.
0: Their their friendship is undeniable, but their skill as detectives is slightly more...
1: To be fair, you'd think that Fantasy Ofsted, as in one of the characters is from Fantasy Ofsted, would be better at finding problems in this school.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the other two characters are another small child and a drunken a drunken teenager.
1: For for listeners not in the UK, Ofsted is basically the people who investigate schools and review them for the government. Okay, so we have one more question which has come to us from the email. Um from Nil who says Hello, mods. I'd like to ask if either of you has any advice for playing gender non-conforming characters in RPGs. I want to play one, but I don't want it to become the central focus of their character. And this is a genuinely good question, and I feel like we are very qualified to answer it.
0: No one involved in the production of this podcast is cis.
1: But yeah, I think... Would you make a big deal out of it? If you had a male character wearing trousers, would you be like, "By the way, I'm wearing a suit If not, then don't do that if they're wearing a if it's like a man in a dress, just be like, "Well, I'm gonna hitch up my skirts and I'm gonna cross the stream and do the thing
0: yeah, i think yeah, if you're yeah, I think generally, if you mention their gender presentation and gender identity as much." as you would mention, a gendered characters, gender presentation and gender identity is probably a good starting point if you just if you don't want to be da 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 da, 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 da if this is like your first attempt at playing a non-gender conforming character.
1: Especially because a lot of DMs like to introduce characters with a physical description. Like you enter the bar and you see an orc in some leather armor and stuff like that. You can just be like, you see an orc in some leather armor, you see a man in a dress, you see a dwarf wearing this. It's just. It doesn't have to be and shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. But I mean, just on a wider thing, like, I love how. Like, RPGs and the sort of tabletop community is so much more inclusive than even just when I started in, like, 2014. Like, I mean, the Fifth Dead handbook explicitly says, here's some examples of some trans and non-binary canon characters, so go for your life.
0: Yeah, I know Pathfinder has introduced at least, like, one canonically trans sort of sample character. So, yeah, we we were before...
1: And obviously gender non-conforming, doesn't necessarily mean trans, but I feel like it all comes under an umbrella of not what the cis expect.
0: Yeah. We were... To take the opposite... Like... Sorry. My words stopped. Yes, going for a new approach, we we were, before before doing the podcast, we were looking up Avalanche Press's games, which are... Books which are just a variety of skimpy cat women on the covers who don't show up at any point in the books. So- yeah,
1: like we we're, were looking at the Aztec one specifically, which I don't think highly visible underboob is historically accurate. Yeah, I, I'm no- like the Aztecs are not my area, but I'm pretty sure. The underboob was not their thing. Yeah, so
0: I think inclusion, don't make a big deal about it. And don't have weird, vaguely racist underboob ladies. And you're probably good.
1: I mean, you can't have underboob ladies. Just don't call them historically accurate. I guess, yeah. Nick, Nick says Frodo underboob, like underhill.
0: Ah. Uh. Nick does say things like that.
1: Mm. Yes. I feel I feel like we should try and say a bit more about this question because it's it's quite short. I mean it
0: is short, it's but short like, short answer. like it is short, but also I'm not sure how much more there is to say about it. Like
1: We could just bring in a fourth question.
0: We could. Um what questions do we have coming up? <laughs>
1: So we have one last question that we've got um, from Tumblr. It's anonymous, um, who says, is a 380-word backstory too long? So I think that's about a page in Word, depending on your font size. I think that's just coming in prepared.
0: Like, I think it depends... Who your GM is, and who the rest of the players are. And it probably also depends on, like, what the backstory is. Like, if you've just painstakingly written every single thing your character did that morning, it might be a bit excessive. But, like, yeah, I think it depends a lot. Is your character... Do the rest of your player group have... 318-word backstories, or is it just you?
1: But also, I think it is okay if it's just one person. Like, there's a game I'm running at the moment where there's three kind of... the normal-length backstories, and one person has basically written a prologue.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's fair.
1: But, I mean, some people just have a lot of thoughts about their character and the world and things, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong no. with that. It's just a question of running it past your DM first. Okay.
0: I think, I think to re- rephrase my answer, if your GM says, hey, could you give me the cliff notes for this, you've possibly written too long a backstory, otherwise you're fine.
1: Yeah. Like... Immerse yourself in the world and make your character fit in the world. Whether that's through your backstory or just through gameplay. Either way, it just makes for a better experience for everyone, really. So that's about everything for today. Um, if you've got a question, you can send it to us on the Probably Bad RPGs ideas Tumblr. Um, just say that it is for the podcast. Or email us at probablybadpodcast at gmail.com. I want to thank Nick Blake for editing and music. And if you want to support us, you can head to patreon.com slash probablybadrpgideas where you can donate at 1, five, ten, or 20 pound a month increments um, and get access to our Discord server and bonus episodes. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can go to ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash probablybadrpgideas. And remember to have a
0: probably probably bad day.